This is the podcast of the Germanic American Institute. Welcome to the corner. Where Germanic-speaking European countries, Germany, Deutschland, Austria, Österreich, Switzerland, Schweiz, blend with the Midwestern United States. Hello. Hello. Servus. Grüezi. We are here and there, and we invite you to come along on the journey. And just like that, we are back. It's our May edition, and I think we, we just have to spend a short moment to just be happy about the weather. It's warm. We finally came out of our almost endless winter hibernation. So great to be back. Uh, of course, it's not me alone. I have Claudia once again. Guten Tag. And we have Katrin. Moin, moin. And if this is any indication whatsoever, having Catherine back in the room, which means we also return to our original format. Today is a little bit of grammar. And what grammar is about, we'll talk to you in a few seconds. Then we actually look at the holidays and particularly events that we celebrate in Germany, Austria and Switzerland, more so than in the US perhaps. And last but not least, as our usual format, format dictates, we also go over our upcoming events where there is quite some coming at you. So stay tuned for all that. But just like that, let's look at grammar. Catherine, what do you, what do you have? I'm scared. <laughs> um, well, today I felt it was uh, prudent to talk about the so-called Wechselpräposition. Besides the fact that it's a really fun word to say, and yes, I encourage you at home to do so, um, there are prepositions, uh, little words that explain to us where things or people, for example, are in relation to each other. In English, for example, the would be on, under, before, by, or at. They could be temporal. So I have to do with time. For example, a quarter to 12 or spatial, the cat is on the table. They could be directional. He's moving towards the street. Or instrumental. She's traveling by plane or even describe an agent. The book was written by Charles Dickens, for example. In German, we distinguish between types of prepositions by which case they take. Some require the dative case, some require the accusative case, and some can go with either one. These are called the nasty nine, because they don't require just one case, and it can be confusing when it's time to pick your case. First of all, let's actually talk about which ones are um, Wechselpropositionen, and here we have the an, auf, hinter, in, neben, über, unter, vor, and zwischen. And how can we actually distinguish now between the accusative and the dative? Well, in German it really all comes down to the difference between grammatical location and direction. So the emphasis is on a grammatical sense. If we are talking about direction, the case that goes with it would always be the accusative. If we are talking about location, the case would be dative. Let me give you an example. This is all rather theoretical. Das fliegt, Flugzeug fliegt über der Stadt und das Flugzeug fliegt über die Stadt. When I say, das Flugzeug fliegt über 
die Stadt, which is the accusative, I mean that the plane is going from place A to place B, and on its way there, it's crossing over the city. We are going from here to there, aka we're talking about direction. However, when I say das Flugzeug fliegt über der Stadt, which would be the dative case and would refer to location, it would mean I took a helicopter, fun German word, Hubschrauber, and I'm viewing the city from above, which means that although physically I'm definitely moving, grammatically I'm remaining in one position which is on top of the city. I'm not going from place A to place B. I'm just staying there. Another example would be Ich lege den Stift auf den Tisch. I lay the pen on the table. Versus Der Stift liegt auf dem Tisch. The pen lies on the table. We can see here that English actually makes us use two different verbs to express location and direction. Direction is expressed by to lay, while location, the pen hanging out on top of the table, is expressed by lie. In German, however, we can get the help of prepositions to express if we are moving or not. To summarize the important takeaways here, location and direction are the key concepts. Location equals dative, direction equals accusative. But this only applies to these nasty nine prepositions, those that can take either case. With other prepositions, one unfortunately just has to memorize if they take the dative or accusative. Wechselpräposition, so much fun. Or such little words. <laughs> is there is there some kind of a trick or some way you can remember what those nasty nine are, or do you just have to re, you know learn them by heart? I think that one best just learns them by heart. There are nine of them. They're usually listed in alphabetical order, so that gives you a little hint. There are songs about the dative and the accusative um, prepositions. I am not going to sing them, but you can find them online. <laughs> okay. um, and the Wechsel prepositions generally have to do with a spot like a physical spot, so on top of or under or next to. That can be a little bit of help to think about that. And of course, if you have any questions, uh, if that was just really highly theoretical and really difficult to digest because of uh, writing it down and not seeing it on a whiteboard, uh, certainly invite you to any Start 2 or G200 class or any instructor, for that matter, at the GAI, who can certainly give you the full lowdown on everything, accusative, dative, genitive, which, by the way, genitive, I just read, is slowly but surely phasing out. Did you hear that too, by any chance? Um, it is uh, phasing out right now. The trend goes toward not using it anymore. Mm -hmm. However, we have a campaign, you know, um, for saving the genitive, basically, um, we'll see where it goes. Generally, those campaigns aren't very successful. There's an actual campaign to saving mm -hmm. the genitive case, the second yeah. case. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, um, I think people try to get away from it because it tends to sound a little clumsy. So people try to circumvent it, even though I think without it, it sounds even worse. That there is there is some general disdain on Catherine's face, right? Now. Right. I sense that you disagree with the idea of getting away from the genitive. 
I personally like the genitive. I think it's a fun case, but most of my students probably wouldn't agree. So we'll leave it at sure. that. Yeah. I mean, I guess language is by nature always alive and that it changes. It has changed. It's going to continue to change with certain grammatical restructuring that has taken place in the late 80s, early 90s, where we basically reinvented how the double S is used versus the sharp S and so forth. And I'm guessing that this would just be just a continued evolution of how language is going to be changing the one thing that is definitely not going to go away is accusative and dative so you certainly right. want to brush up on that be on top of it because it is absolutely instrumental to actually compute the german language so just a renewed call to everyone who is now completely intrigued and or perhaps confused ask your teachers that's what we're here for and i can start and do an early pitch and we'll talk about it later on it's but we are off offering grammar sessions throughout the summer so for, for those grammar geeks people who love grammar and i know you're out there we are <laughs> we are offering grammar classes in the summer six weeks only grammar yay rejoice well it's actually not that bad of an idea no, because actually, it makes, i think it's a great yeah. idea so i'm just kind of being a little facetious because you know it's you know once you understand the grammar and once you understand grammar gives everything structure mm-hmm. right and then makes a, makes a lot of things a lot more logical and so much more variability yep grammar nerds i understand you i am one myself it is just so clever when you look at grammar how it works <laughs> it's such yep. a joy yep well, I mean, it, it makes sense to speak German, obviously. In classes, we, we try to utilize quite a lot of the spoken element. But in order to speak correctly, grammar has to be has to be on the forefront. Well, that and and uh, um, I just came uh, I just came back from Germany uh, actually uh, last week, and and that's when you notice how poorly we actually speak when we are among natives, right? And how, how grammar gets forgotten in colloquialisms and in just daily speech. And I kept catching myself because I actually went to four, uh, three different parts in Germany, Frankfurt, Stuttgart, and Berlin, and grammar usage and and um, way things are spoken are very different in those three different parts of Germany. And then on the way back, I read a book uh, by a brilliant author called Patrick Süßkind, mm-hmm. Who, uh, um, who actually wrote the book that uh, our literature class is reading right now, but I read the book called Die Taube. And talk about a master of the German language and a master of grammar. So anybody who is at an advanced level, it's a quick read, it's only about 100 pages, and but that's, that's when you can tell how somebody uses the grammar and the German language to express something really really awesome so it it is you know in your subconscious if you do like grammar and if you do like reading masters of the german language and how they use language to uh, and grammar to express certain things it's fantastic so patrick suskind who i think came to fame through the perfume the perfume perfume, Mm -hmm. which also was made into a movie i think Mm -hmm. with robert de niro Al Pacino, one of those... I think uh, Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. Mm-hmm. One of those Hollywood grandmasters of acting. And for us to read actually another piece of um, 
of Patrick Suskind makes a lot of sense. So, and like I said, it's a quick read. It's a hundred pages. We have it. Uh, we have it here in the bibliotheque, and um, it's it's fantastic. Even some of us who are not grammar geeks can appreciate it when when you read when you read a, a you know master of language like that. Let me pitch a question to the audience uh, as it occurs to me right now. Would you, the listener, be interested in us uh, perhaps conducting the usual traditional book review about German authors. If so, send us an email to languages at or language at GMI. GM G-A-I-M-N.org. There was a lot of German involved lately in my life, so switching context, switching back and forth really is almost challenging. So once again, if you have any interest in us doing book reviews on German authors, send us an email please to language at G-A-I-M-N.org. It does not come together today. And I'm not going to cut this out either. I'm... Let me repeat that. Language <laughs> at gai-mn.org. Let me repeat after you. Language <laughs> at gai-mn.org. Okay, I'm back. Go. Thank you. Okay. Whew. Let's talk about traditions while we're at it. Um, I think lots of spring traditions. Yeah, lots yeah. of spring traditions. We do have a ginormous amount of holiday, vacation days in Europe to begin with. In Austria, like I said, it's five weeks mandated. And then, of course, we have about 20-plus national holidays across the board. And I think Germany is about in the same realm, if you will. And among those are just phenomenal traditions. And we'll touch on not all of them. We don't have enough time for that. Or perhaps you don't have enough time for that. But just a couple of highlights. Katrin, you have the first one. Yes, I would like to talk about Walpurgisnacht, which is the night from April 30th into May 1st. So we just had that. Um, the day or evening was actually named after Sankt Walburga, who was a saint who became an abbess at some point, who really had nothing to do with any of this, but then later was... Uh, Canonized or what is it in Catholicism? Yeah, she was made mm -hmm. the um, patron to seafarers and could also ward of evil spirits. Um, really, what this tradition consists of is that people dress up as witches, go to the Harz Mountain region, which is in the north of Germany. It can be very remote, so the long arm of the church didn't really reach in there. Um, and they go up to the highest mountain there, the Brocken, and dance around it, around a fire, along with the villages nearby. And if you think this is just a few lost souls, yes, we have actual witches and sorcerers that go there to, you know, do this for rituals, but also... It's a bit of a Volksfest situation and tens and thousands of people actually descend on this mountain um, on that night. During the separation of Germany, this area was in the east and it was actually a high security zone because it was right on the border. It had watchtowers and fences and mines and trenches and really only after the wall came down, these festivities could resume and there are... Um, written um, concepts of this uh, tradition or these rituals that date back to the Middle Ages when women, the strong women, and that were then sometimes called witches, actually made up a concoction 
out of herbs and um, Mutterkorn in German and in uh, English it's called ergo kennel uh, was one of the ingredients as well as belladonna for example and a bunch of other herbs um, and this was made into a self an ointment and the people smeared that on themselves onto their brooms onto their pitchforks whatever they were planning on using to fly up to the mountain um, and then they went into a trance because these are highly hesalinogenic drugs. Psychotropic. <laughs> yes. Um, and so we have accounts of orgies and Satan and flying. And I mean, they must have had some interesting trips in more than one way. And of course, Ergo Kennel, we know here in the US because it probably played a fairly substantial role in the Salem witch trials because the fits that some people were experiencing there could come from that um, fungus, the Ergo Kennel fungus, which is highly toxic. And So they were getting seizures or something probably. Okay. Yeah, seizures and, uh, you know, they saw things that necessarily wasn't, weren't necessarily there. Um, this Walpurgisnacht um, really became very popular then through Goethe, uh, one of the most famous German authors who wrote about it in one of his pieces. Um, however, up to today, Harry Potter has references to Walpurgisnacht as well. Um, the Death Eaters, for those of you that uh, are familiar with Harry Potter, were originally named the Knights of Walpurgis, which is of course a word game on Walpurgis Night. So if you ever have a chance to go to the Hutz Mountains, bring your broom and uh, some makeup. Maybe stay away from the self. It was uh, try to uh, reestablish this ointment. Uh, people found recipes from the medieval ages. However, this is all very illegal today, so they were preventing from selling them. But I believe some people used it, made it for themselves, and then used it and experienced the same effects. Yeah. What I'm kind of interested in in this, you mentioned that tens of thousands or 10,000 plus attend Walpurgisnacht. Has it been, I would say, sensationalized slash perhaps commercialized as well as one of those medieval revival kind of ideas where you can actually truly participate akin to what we have here with uh, Renaissance fairs and whatnot? Or is it truly kept more in its original context of celebrating or commemorating what had happened hundreds of years ago? There is certainly some commercialization and the villages around this Brocken capitalize on that. I mean, there are, you know, fires in the villages as well where the witches and sorcerers dance around, but it's not to a level like it is here with Renaissance Festival. Okay. Of course, we have the Mittelalterliche Märkte in Germany as well, the medieval markets. So there is this um, movement, certainly, but I don't think that the movement of the medieval markets or medieval traditions in general really interlaps too much with the Walpurgisnacht. It's really more of a people think it's fun. Mm -hmm. um, I would say 99% of the people doing it do not believe in witchcraft. And it's a way to get out and drink beer and have a broad. And just let your hair down and have, them, have exactly. some fun. Yeah, makes, well, makes perfect sense. And I think it ties, you know, it, so in the South, you know, since we don't have the Brocken in the hearts, you know, it's just called Hexennacht or Witch's Night. Mm -hmm. and, and it ties more into, into dancing toward off bad spirits, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a, 
It's kind of a celebration of spring. And there are so many pagan and Christian and traditions and things that weave together in a lot of these things that it's sometimes hard to figure out how it started or what the original purpose was and, and what it is now. Which we can also apply to the Easter fires, exactly. right? Um, the Easter fires, uh, which are generally held on Saturday night before Easter, sometimes on Friday nights as well, depending on how the city schedule is, really come from a pagan tradition of lighting fires and warding off evil spirits and warding off winter. So all these traditions are a play on good versus evil, dark versus light, all these things. And um, up yeah. to today, the Easter fires are very popular. Every town has them. Some places they had to put on restrictions because really every village had them. And then the next morning you had a thick layer of smog over the area. Um, well, that plus nowadays you need fire departments to actually be there because they're huge bonfires. And yeah, they're gigantic. Sm- People throw <laughs> in their old Christmas trees, um, bush that was collected throughout the year. I mean, these are really big and um, they're nowadays actually being guarded because, yeah, over time people have tried to light them up before the actual day and sometimes there were people in there that were you know, Still. trying to fool around. Yep. Also with the little critters that uh, make themselves a home there over the winter, a lot of towns now actually restack them. So take the big stack and basically turn it over so everything has a chance to escape before they set it on fire. Because yep, it's not a barbecue. <laughs> no. No, those those fires are ginormous. Um, you can see them from miles away and uh, you don't want to stand too close because otherwise you have no body hair left. That's just simply how it is that, like Catherine said, old Christmas trees are being recycled in that manner quite frequently. And obviously with with larger participation has to there has to be a little bit more control to actually oversee the festivity otherwise uh, somebody really gets um perhaps in danger so yeah it makes sense but since we're already at easter it's i think uh, perhaps in austria as much as in germany the second biggest event from a holiday perspective from a festivity perspective right uh, with christmas and in Austria, we have, of course, everything centers around the kitchen table. It's heavily food-influenced, but also, of course, very religiously influenced in that we attend to Mass. We have essentially little bouquets that are made out of um, cattails and the appropriate seasonal um, and regional flowers that are all stacked together in this nice little bouquet. And your local priest... Christians and and um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Blesses. Blesses. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, blesses your your bouquet, and then used to you took it home and displayed it in the in the uh, vase, but that has changed because in Austria, I just found this out. Cattails are now under protection. Germany too. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can't just run around and willingly Take cut them, them off, off. and uh, you, so you if you really want to do this. You have to have a cattail bush in your backyard, or go to the local uh, uh, flower shop and stuff and get them. Yep, you yeah. can't just go around cutting off cattails. And that is uh, reasoned with it is one of the primary early food resources for bees. Uh-huh. Okay. Ah, little did I know. And beyond that, one of the I would say most significant traditions we do this here in the US as well is the Easter egg hunt for kids. Obviously, we hide the eggs and the kids just go bananas uh, to find the eggs and 
there is another layer on top of this. And if you want to jump on Google and actually look for Austrian or German, I would just call them artisan Easter eggs. You will find some just amazing crafts, if you will, where, for instance, the women and men who, who prepare those eggs sit down and take essentially what is a scalpel and start carving into the egg shell and then coloring that in. So you truly have an egg that has been carved on its shell. So that in itself, the fine-tuned mechanics you have to have for that are absolutely amazing. And in order to truly make this happen, because the egg would of course not stay indefinitely good, so to speak, but at some point probably rot away, they blow out the egg. And I don't know if that's something that anybody has done in the US yet, or perhaps it is commonplace. I don't know in the U.S., but I do remember in Germany, we kept blowing eggs and then you take a little half of a match and stick it through the hole and put your little yep. twine on it so it can hang. So, I don't know if that's a tradition here, but yeah, I remember as yeah, a The kid. word is Eier ausblasen, which means basically blow your eggs. <laughs> blowing out the eggs. So you, you tap the egg on each side. Um, on the rounded sides, if you will, just with a tiny little hole, and then you very, very carefully blow blow out the contents of the egg. Now, of course, you want to recycle that for all kinds of breakfast yep. goodies, but that's essentially the idea. Now, you can't make the hole too big, otherwise uh, you can't craft the egg afterwards. And if you make it too small, nothing's going to come out. So it's going to take you a couple of cartons to actually get through this and truly figure out the art that is egg Eier ausblasen, so blowing out the eggs. Um, if you haven't tried this yet, enjoy. Let us know how this went. Next Easter, yeah. Next Easter. You have an entire year to practice. <laughs> so this is uh, just, for instance, uh, one of the big traditions that kids actually do and then... Um, essentially call it their own Easter eggs as well and participate in the entire familial affair that is Ostern. And beyond that, of course, it, it's all about food. It's all about gathering at the tiny dining room table, turn the TVs off, put the phones essentially on silent or turn them off as well and just be with your family and and just be well. That's really the tradition of Easter and it is it is so ingrained in our culture. There is absolutely no way this will ever go away. And in Germany, actually, it's it's not just that Sunday, Easter Sunday, but Good Friday and Easter Monday are holidays, too. So in Germany, it tends to be a four-day weekend uh, every year. So it is actually, from a, uh, from a Christian calendar, it is the largest holiday. And, um, yeah, and, you know, obviously celebrated all all throughout with with all kinds of uh, events similar to what you mentioned with food and families getting together and kids get a couple of weeks off school so mm-hmm. it's nowadays it's, it's called spring vacation but it always used to be easter vacation yep. and it is around yep. easter yep is there any difference in your part of germany as to how it's being celebrated no not really we have an easter yeast braid or breakfast and Ostertopf. Yeah, top, mm-hmm. um, yeah. have that too. Yeah. Which is a sweet yeast bread that uh, has maybe raisins and almonds in it. Um, but other than that, it sounds all very similar. And right from Easter, we go into another tradition that is May. And the May Baum. Yeah, so as, as we mentioned, right, so there's a lot of holidays. Some of them are, you know, based on religion, like Easter, and then, I don't know, 
and how many days after is Pentecost and then there's Ascension Day so there's a lot of Christian based holidays and then there's a lot of pagan days that you know like we mentioned with uh, Walpurgisnacht and one other one is uh, May 1st and uh, May 1st traditionally you know was just another one of these you know celebrate spring celebrate you know the coming you know winter's over and uh, but now so May Day in Germany, nothing with emergency May Day, May Day, but the 1st of May is International Workers' Day. And here in the U.S., Labor Day is celebrated in uh, September in Germany and in many, many other countries. It's May 1st. And um, so now it, it's, it's used for, for demonstrations, for labor, for parties, uh, and you know those kinds of things. But also with that comes a tradition of the Maypole or Maibaum. And uh, even though it goes back centuries, that tradition, they're not quite sure exactly how and where it originated. But basically, as you take a very tall, tall pole or tree and you erect it in your town, uh, most places in southern Germany, and I think Austria too, or Bavaria, they erect it actually the day before May 1st. Mm-hmm. And then it has to be guarded overnight because there's also this tradition of stealing the maypole or Maybaum. And that's kind of like, you know, fun thing villages do to each other. And, you know, then you have to pay a ransom to the other village who stole your maypole. And, you know, that ransom is usually like food and beer. So it's it's just kind of a fun tradition. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, these, these maypoles, they're you know they're traditionally erected the day before and then you have the town band playing and uh, it's just a very big fun fun uh, event it's you know again celebrating spring celebrating being out there yeah, just to give you an idea on the maypole it is erected the day before but it is prepared with weeks in advance there is an elaborate uh, process to actually define the tree that will become that maypole. It is stripped of its bark. It is completely just um, essentially you have nothing to hold on to. There is there is absolutely no finger hold at all. And on the day or the day before it is being erected, it's actually covered in oil. It's just greased up, if you will. And before they put this entire thing up, uh, at least the the usual customs were that they suspend food. And the food in itself got more and more valuable the more, the closer you got to the top of the maypole. And the tradition says that the young men, and of course nowadays women, are invited to climb up the maypole as far as they can to retrieve the food. Now you got to take in consideration this thing has no bark, there is absolutely no handhold, no foothold on anything, and you have this entire thing, this entire pole greased up. <laughs> so getting up there truly is a challenge to retrieve the food, and it's, it's quite a spectacle. It is, and uh, yeah, and you know, most little towns and villages have their own little marching band, and they play when the when it's erected. Now, I don't know how much of a tradition that is in northern Germany, but we it don't do that. Definitely. I mean, we have the bands, but we don't do the maypole. Yeah, definitely is a big thing in you know Baden-Württemberg, Bavaria, Austria. So that southern that southern stretch, and it is fun. But also, what goes along with it, and it ties into the Witches' Night or Walpurgisnacht, is their Tanz in den Mai or Dance into mm-hmm. May. So those people who don't necessarily want to associate with old pagan rituals or witchcraft and stuff like that, it's still a tradition to to dance the night away into from April 30th into into May. And um, and that can be in your village with your yep. 
community band, but can also be in the clubs. We used to go out to the clubs. Yep. Yep. So it's a, it's so May first is a huge holiday. People tend to you know um, in some areas people tend to go for walks outside and you take a little you take a little cart with beer and then you have a picnic somewhere somewhere outside. But you know you kind of go for long hikes. In Berlin, actually, it's been the center for these. Uh, demonstrations and protests around labor rights and and actually probably 30 years ago some of these protests got really really violent so they kind of rolled them back and now it's just a huge street party i mean just all of berlin is out in the streets and you know there there's street vendors there are concerts and stuff so yeah it just tends to be a big day of celebrating spring celebrating old pagan thing festivals maples music food and it is a national holiday nobody works do you know what Pfingstlotter is Pfingstlotter Pfingstlotter it is an Austrian custom that's mostly celebrated it was still practiced if you will in the rural regions I don't think it really has made its way into the cities but essentially what it is a Pfingstlotter is a puppet that's made out of straw, wood, and some tiny pieces of clothing. And it is usually presented by men overnight, by young boys, if you will, who have um, found their future love, but not yet professed their love. So it's our passive-aggressive way of uh, showing you that I'm interested in you, and I'm placing this little puppet item in front of your door or on your windowsill uh, over the course of night. And of course, uh, we don't necessarily let you know who we are but we just place this there and then you girl gotta figure out who we are however <laughs> the, the shenanigan goes evidently in reverse as well that once some of those ladies figure out who the boy is they just wait for the boy not to be at home collaborate with the boy's mom and get access to their room and then carry out the bed of the boy into the streets and place the puppet on the bed Oh, that's cruel, but nice. That, that is quite cruel. And then there's another tradition that essentially centers around the wheel, and I'm quite literally the wheel. So anything that is wheeled and not secured, you may not find in the position in which you originally left it at. So if you have a bicycle, for instance, that you have not tied to the fence or locked to the fence, there is a high likelihood, at least in rural uh, areas, that you will find your bicycle on the roof of the neighbor's house. <laughs> um, that's that's how we conduct ourselves. It's all about shenanigans and keeping each other busy and perhaps in a very um, sort of uh, questionable way professing our interest and love uh, towards someone just to find our beds uh, carried out into the streets. Great. So in case you spend Fingston and cost. Um, yes, in, in Austria, be aware. Okay, <laughs> I hadn't heard of that, but... Um, yeah, I don't know if that risk is worth, worth the reward on this one, you know. It's just quirky little traditions that... <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I don't, you know, I wonder really what, what kind of traditions we have in rural America, if there is anything to that nature, considering that there's such a strong influence of uh, German population, German rooted population, particularly in Minnesota. I wonder if there are any shenanigans that are still being played well, on each other. If you and your, our listeners know yeah. of any... 
I'm not going to I'm not going to try the email again because that's obviously not working no, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's language at gai-mn.org. Thank you. And no, it's it's you know, it's the I think there's a lot of traditions around, you know, spring and May and planting and you know whether those were old pagan or witchcraft or Christian traditions, you know, that just go back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years because some of these things that we talked about, you know, truly go back centuries. And uh, so obviously, you know, coming here kind of maybe made a break in some of those traditions, especially since some people came here to the U.S. a long, long time ago to get away from some of the Christianity or pagan or some of the rules. So maybe they purposely broke with some of those traditions. But others, I think, you know, are maybe you know, celebrating spring and uh, getting out after a long, harsh winter after, you know, which is what, what you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then there's probably new or different traditions that came from that. But yeah, it is it is fun. And it is great to be in Germany in the spring because you do get a boatload of holidays, <laughs> days off work and spring breaks and vacations and Easter and, and whatever. So yeah, usually like in April and May, you get there's hardly a week where you have to work all five days because there's some kind of holiday. And that's before we consider the potential of the 13th and 14th salary. Correct. Well, that's But else that's altogether. a podcast altogether just <laughs> yes. to... Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> just to tease that one. Um, did you guys uh, recently just drive up and down summits and perhaps in some of the neighborhoods and recognize uh, what's going on on the roofs of many of the houses? No. Nam- namely solar panels. Oh, One of the things that I've noticed uh, more and more on commercial buildings as well as some residential buildings, actually the house two doors uh, down from us, they now have solar on the roof. I have a solar system on my house. How is it working? Fantastic. Love it. How is your electric bill? What electric bill? Ah, you don't have one. So even even in Minnesota, it's viable. Even in Minnesota, we run a net surplus. Basically, we pay less in the winter month when we actually have snow on our solar panels than what the rebates are. Because when when you produce more, there are all sorts of plants through the electric companies. If you produce more than what you use yourself, it gets fed into the grid and you actually get a credit with the electric company. So you don't get money paid out, you just get a credit for well, something you after, probably so never after, use. No, no, and after, well then... Either they pay it out to you, depending mm-hmm. on how high the credit is, or if it's you know if you have a credit going into November, and next month you actually have an electric bill, then you know it 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 offsets. But yeah, so we run obviously a net surplus. Mm-hmm. So in the long run, this makes complete sense. Well, in the long run, it m- makes complete sense because you're not drawing non renewable resources because you're making your own. On that note, uh, we do have a solar energy talk and field trip planned here on Saturday, May 18th from 11 through noon. And the field trip then continues from noon to 3 p.m. And essentially, it gives you an idea or an option to learn how to get involved with solar energy. We have Peter Schmidt from U.S. Solar who will talk about the different forms of solar energy. So there's not just one, there are multiples, focusing on resources for the average household. So if you ever had the idea and perhaps contemplated to put solar on your roof, that would certainly be 
the talk to attend. The talk will be followed again by an informational bus ride to visit a solar garden in Stacy, Minnesota. And we suggest that if this is where you're going with us, to bring a bag lunch and a drink. And it's free, so that's even better. And if you want to RSVP for the field trip, please do that on our website, which is gi-mn.org. Once again, the Solar Energy Talk and Field Trip on Saturday, May 18th, 11th through noon, and then the field trip continues from noon to 3 p.m. Yeah, and you might wonder why, you know, why... Why is the GAI or organizing a solar field trip and talking about solar energy? But I think I can speak for all of us here is Germany, I don't know how much Austria, Germany is huge into solar power. A lot of people have solar panels on their on their roofs and or just alternative energy in general. And, uh, you know, again, I was in Germany again last week. You look out of a residential area and probably every third or fourth house will have will have sonar panels on it and that's in germany and the sun doesn't shine all that much you know so i don't know if that's the same in, in northern germany absolutely in austria we do a fair bit of solar but we also do a lot of wind yep which is simply based on the fact that we have a ton of mountains and a ton of wind is coming down from the mountains so it does make sense that as soon as it gets a little bit flatter so towards uh, essentially the eastern part of austria vienna lower austria portions of uh, Upper Austria that we capitalize on what rolls really down from the mountain, which in this case would be wind. So wind energy is big, solar energy is uh, also just ginormous when you look at some of the rural houses particularly. You find that most of the modern, the more contemporary builds and modern builds, they all have solar on the roof already and it's just, that's the way we go. Yep, exactly. Yep. So a couple other things to, uh, to quickly mention. Um, classes and programs obviously continue beyond, um, beyond our spring session. So for those of you who are beginner German students, people who are in our current start session, start one, two, three, or in G100 or G200, we have a special practice session for you, Freitag Feierabend. This uh not this week, but next week, Friday, May 17th. So register for that. Check it out online. Friday, May 17th, Freitag Feierabend practice session for beginning students. It's $10. You get a drink with it and an hour and a half of conversation practice. And uh, we usually have a lot of fun. Also, registration is now open for the summer classes that are running in July and August. And as I mentioned earlier, we do have a grammar session or we have grammar sessions. And all of these sessions are um, split by um, um, skill level. So A1, A2, B1 and advanced and in addition to the grammar sessions, because not everybody is a grammar geek, we have conversation classes as well. So take a look at, uh, at, the, at the schedule. And these classes are all six weeks long because we know you'd rather do something else in the summer than study German. But we also don't want you to forget everything you've learned. So summer sessions, July and August, take a look on our website. And... Uh, summer camps for younger children. So if you do have children or grandchildren or know somebody who has children and you want your children to be exposed to fantastic summer camps, we have summer camps running from 
June 17th all the way through August 23rd. So take a look at um, at the po- at you know at what your kids are doing or grandkids and uh, sign them up for German summer language camps. And if you know anything about us, you know that we are usually keeping active with two ginormous events per year, one of which is the Oktoberfest, the traditional Oktoberfest. And then we do have Deutsche Tage, which falls right into the beginning of summer, June 8th and June 9th. June 8th goes from 11 a.m. through 10 p.m. And then June 9th from 11 a.m. through 5 p.m., which is essentially a weekend of arts, traditions, and, of course, cuisine of the German-speaking world. So you can expect for us to roll out all the stops and make sure that you are well-fed and have all the experiences that you should have, just shy of going to actually Germany, Austria, or Switzerland. And what what else can we say about that other than we will have a dedicated podcast that mm-hmm. is particularly geared towards Deutsche Tage, why it exists and what we actually serve, not just in terms of food, but also in terms of informational sessions. And what are we going to uh, talk about to tease the podcast a little bit? Well, Deutsche Tage is uh, here the longest running ethnic festival in St. Paul. That's an accomplishment considering... Yep. And I think it's, what, 61 years now or something like that? Something along those lines. So I think it was 60 years last year or the year before. But yeah, it's over 60 years. And it is the longest running ethnic festival here in St. Paul. And it's here on the GI grounds. And Linda is uh, the one who is in charge. She has a ton of information. So we're going to pull her into our podcasting studio at the GAI house and we will talk about Deutsche Tage. So once again, just to make sure that our dates are on your calendar, June 8th and June 9th, both days start at 11 a.m. So just show up early and just connect with us and of course, everybody else who does show up. And that was it. I think that's all we got. That's our May episode number one, because number two is to follow soon. Of course, if you do have any questions, any topics you would like us to consider, please feel free to email us at language at gai-mn.org. Otherwise, this is Katrin. Tschüss. Claudia. Ade. And Michael signing off. Until next time.